Hello, my name is Alexander, and I'm the Education Coordinator at Youth Employment Services. My name is Morik Morrison, and I am an Employment Facilitator with Youth Employment Services. Today, we're going to be talking about informational interviewing. We're actually going to interview each other. Morag and I are going to interview each other. It's going to be great. But before we get to that piece, what exactly is an informational interview, Morag? So I think a lot of people hear the words informational interview and they might go, whoa, that sounds really like intense and professional. But we actually do informational interviews all the time on this show. So an informational interview is quite literally just an interview for the purpose of getting information. And all of the interview style episodes we do on the show, so we flip flop between kind of the Morgan Alexander show and then the interview style shows. And those are all informational interviews. So in those ones, I tend to ask very similar questions to each person that I interview so that we get kind of the same information about different career paths. So I ask questions like, what do you do in your job that people don't know about? Or what is your job, you know, to start off? And then I also ask things like, what kind of strengths do you have that have allowed you to succeed in your job? what weaknesses have you had to work on, things like that. And so if you listen to any of those episodes, you're actually listening to uh, an informational interview format. The reason we wanted to do this episode that was explicitly about informational interviews was because there's all different kinds of questions that you can ask. And the ones that I usually ask in those informational interviews aren't the only ones. So we wanted to give you guys a little bit more of an idea of what direction these kind of things can take and also what kind of information you can get out of them. And the purpose of an informational interview isn't to get a job. It's not quite the same as a cold call, which we know is Alexander's favorite. He talks about them a lot. But it's more just if you're interested potentially in looking into a certain career option or maybe a career change, these are a really good way to find out more information about those. They're also a nice way Let's say if you've applied to a job in a certain field and you got an interview, maybe reaching out to someone that you know who works in that field for an informational interview would be a helpful way for you to prepare for your job interview, even if it's not with that company. So those are some reasons why you might want to do one. And Alexander, how exactly would you ask for an informational interview? Well, it's very similar to cold calling in a way. However, I would not just approach somebody that you're interested in maybe working in their field and just say, can I have an interview with you? Can I interview you? They're going to be like, whoa, I don't know about that. Instead, think of it as just asking for really information. You can explain your situation and say, hey, my name's Alexander and I'm trying to get into, for instance, the welding field. What? Tell me about your experience with it. How did he get into this field? And then you could talk to them, make it more of a conversation. You'll find a lot of the episodes that we have when we do the informational interview style, some of it is more like a conversation. All you're really trying to do is just trying to figure out information from them. Again, you don't have to make it into a formal interview or interrogation. All it really is is just talking to them and seeing about how they got into the field, what their responsibilities are, And in fact, there's a lot of websites that talk about informational interviewing with a lot of questions on there. And if you have a really difficult time, then, you know, just reaching out to somebody and just asking out of the blue, like I'm suggesting, you can actually contact Youth Employment Services and we can actually set up an appointment and we can walk you through informational interviewing one-on-one. And something else I just want to highlight is you'll notice pretty much all of our interview style 
episodes of this podcast are usually 20 minutes or less. And so just keep that in mind. You're not asking for a huge favor from someone. You're not asking for an entire work day from them for them to talk about you. You're not asking to shadow for a full day. You're just asking for 15 to 20 minutes of their time. So make that clear in your ask. Just say, do you have 15 minutes, you know, on a coffee break or in your lunch break to have a phone call with me? Or offer them to take them out for coffee, depending on, you know, what COVID is like where you are as you're listening to this. Maybe it's not a thing anymore. Maybe you're listening in the future. That would be great. But for now, just just keep the ask small. And I have a bit of a personal story before we get into interviewing each other. I actually asked for an informational interview with one of my now co-workers. So Laura Lynn and I used to know each other from sitting on a board together. We didn't know each other very well. But then when I applied to Youth Employment Services for my job now, I was offered the interview. So I reached out to Laura Lynn and I said, hey, I have an interview at your workplace on Friday. Do you mind taking a few minutes before then to chat with me? Can I ask you a few questions about what you like about working there and get your take on how I should best prepare for this interview. And luckily for me, she said yes. And she gave me some really, really good information. And what I did to prepare for that was I just made some notes for myself after I'd reached out and she said yes. So we set a time for to have a quick phone call. And then I took my time to go in and make sure that any questions I had, I could get her to answer and also just get her take on, on how I should prepare And, you know, I'm not going to say it's because of that call, but I did end up getting the job and it was really helpful for me to have had that phone call ahead of time to prep for it and also to know that this was a job I am interested in and I do want to do. And now we're going to get into the interview. So first I'm going to interview Alexander in his current position as education coordinator. And after that, Alexander is going to interview me. And just so we switch it up a little bit, he's going to interview me and I'm going to talk as though I was in a previous job of mine, not at Youth Employment Services, where I managed a garden program for a different nonprofit, uh, just to give you a little bit of variety there. To make it more fun for us, we are not telling each other what questions we're going to ask. <laughs> we're just going to throw some questions at each other that we have not thought about or prepared answers for. And hopefully that also gives you an idea of sometimes when you're asking someone a question in an actual informational interview, you don't always send them the questions ahead of time. They don't know what you're going to ask. So you might get some of those more off-the-cuff answers. So we thought that would be a nice way to do that for us as well. So, Alexander, are you ready? ready as I ever will be. Okay, awesome. I'm going to start with an easy one. So can you tell me what your main responsibilities are as the education coordinator for Youth Employment Services? So my main responsibilities are curating and creating and presenting presentations to different schools all around Manitoba. And this can, and their presentations all about uh, anything employment-wise. Another one of my biggest responsibilities I do is I contact teachers and I keep in the loop with teachers and what's going on in the province. And I try to get in contact with every single school division. So one of my biggest jobs, I think, is really keeping a good relationship with teachers. I try to keep a good relationship with students, but they go on to the next grade. So one of my big things is really having a relationship with teachers throughout the province. What do you like most about your work? Oh, I love working with the students. It's really fun. I have to be honest, I work with high schoolers. I didn't have a good time when I was in high school. I didn't really like the kids so much. Retrospect, well, these kids are fantastic. Um, I love working with this age group. And also working with the teachers is amazing. I'm a people person. That's what I tell everybody, and I mean it. I love people. 
I want to be with people all the time. So interacting with these people, having these presentations, kind of a, a live audience, especially, you know, um, in the future, you know, when, when COVID goes away, I would love to go back into the classroom because I love that. I love going into the buildings and brightening kids' days up. Awesome. And then on the flip side, what do you like least about your work? Ah, and this is something I'm struggling with now, and I'm working on it. It's really org- the organizational part about it, just biding my time in between those presentations, trying to figure out, you know, the, the best best way to manage my time, I guess, can be tough in between those presentations. So meeting with people I love, not being with people, I guess that's the part that's really tough for me. And with the education program, I am the education coordinator. I'm my own boss, and that can be difficult. So time management, trying to think of think of new projects, that can be tough because I work best as a team. And of course, I work as a team with my other coworkers, and they can help me. But really, ultimately, it's up to me to really come up with these new ideas. So working alone can be tough sometimes. And how does your job affect your lifestyle? Especially right now, I guess you could say during the pandemic right now, I have to be, you know, here. And how does your job affect your lifestyle? Well, it's definitely made me think differently when it comes to education, especially in the school system. Also, it has really helped me be more outgoing. I feel like ever since I was midway through college, I got pretty outgoing, but not super outgoing. And the more and more I go into this role and interact with students and teachers, I'm able to become more outgoing and I can relate with people wide range. So I'm able to, I just feel like I can interact with people of all ages. Usually I always tell myself I'm an old man and I usually get along with people who are older than me, but now I'm able to get along with people who are younger with me than me. So that's really great. Awesome. And how relevant is your work to your undergraduate major? I think of it sort of as a, uh, it's indirectly related and directly related. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology, minor sociology. Now, the reason why I got into psychology was because I wanted to work with people with mental health. And I worked at this drop-in center. And I'm going to get to the the answer pretty soon. But uh, yeah, I worked at this drop-in center, uh, just volunteering. And then after... I volunteered there many hours, and I've told the story many times. They said, do you want to be an employment specialist? I said, well, well, you know, what, what, what is an employment specialist? I didn't even know what it was. And plus, I didn't even realize it had anything to do with mental health. I guess I never really thought about it that way. But it does relate to mental health because if you get a job, that means you're doing well and you have a structure in your day. So helping these kids find their best potential through work it is somewhat directly related to my degree. That makes any sense. That's kind of a long-winded answer saying, yes, it is related. So, I mean, everything really, you find like in psychology and sociology, everything really intersects. So that that's really what it comes down to. Nice. Okay, I've got a couple more for you here. If I were to look for a job in this field, what kind of strategies do you think I should use for seeking a position? Well, I think you might know the answer to that because I say it all the time. Using the hidden job market, I think, is a good way to do it. 
um, to really show initiative because when it comes to the employment, you know, working as an employment specialist, as an education coordinator, you really have to have a good go-getter personality, I feel like. So connecting with people and also in the the non-for-profit sense, you need to have that sort of mentality that, you know, you really want to work for the non-for-profit, not for money or anything, but because it's fulfilling. So if you want to get into this type of career, you really need to have that mindset about yourself, working the extra hour, doing the extra goal, volunteering at places. I mean, that that's how I started in the whole non-for-profit sector is just volunteering. So volunteer your time at a place that you think is very important to you. And then from there, you'll go up and up. Awesome. And last one. So if I was interested in becoming an education coordinator or an employment specialist, but I couldn't find anything quite in that field, what are some of the other fields that are similar that you would recommend that I look into? Education. It has the word education. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a little funny, but it's true. Anything in the education realm is really important. I remember my, my predecessor, who actually was name was Alex. That's why I go by Alexander. He was very invested in the education aspect. Uh, of it. So being an educator, I think is something that that's really helpful because I work with kids. I mean, that's, that's 90% of my job is working with children all the time. So something to do with kids. I think that is something that's related. So a lot of that times it can be education. A lot of times it could be after school programs, stuff like that. That's what it comes to mind with me. Awesome. Well, thank you for being a champ about all those curveballs, Alexander. Okay, now it's your turn to do this to me. So uh, like I said before, I'm not going to be answering as Morig, the employment facilitator. We're going to give you guys a little bit something different. I'm going to be answering as the previous job I did before I came to Yes, which was where I managed a garden program. So that's what Alexander is interviewing me as. All right, great. So Morig, I just want to interview a little bit about uh, being a gardening manager at a non-for-profit that you worked at. So how did you get into that field? How did you get into that position of working in a garden? Well, there's a couple different answers to this question. So first off, when I was, well, fresh out of high school, I did go into university, but I was in a program that was not the right program for me. I knew that very quickly. So I finished out the year because I didn't want to waste that tuition money. And then I worked a couple of jobs and saved up and then went traveling and volunteering through a program called Workaway. So with Workaway, you volunteer about 25 hours a week, and in exchange, you get room and board, so you essentially live for free. So I did a bunch of volunteer work on, like, small farms or in people's homes that had, like, large market gardens and stuff like that. So I did a lot of that kind of gardening and vegetable growing through volunteering. And then a couple years later, I came back to Winnipeg, and I went back to post-secondary school into the Urban and Inner City Studies program at University of Winnipeg. And as part of that program, I did an internship at a specific nonprofit, not in their gardening program, but at the nonprofit in general. And so a couple of years later, when I graduated university, I was looking for work and I found a job at that nonprofit. So I applied again and I got a job in their garden program. And so I think a big part of it was not only having that relevant gardening experience, but also having volunteered at that specific organization before I was applying. Because I know that when I got to the interview, they knew me and they said, hey, it's great to see you again. So I think that was a really big part of it was having that network connection already. What were your main responsibilities as a garden manager? I mean, there was the obvious ones of 
being in charge of the garden and making sure that it was growing. So I was growing food that was then being redistributed to food banks. And so a big thing that I wasn't in charge of was the weather. So mainly my responsibility there was making sure that I was adapting to whatever was happening. But I wasn't the one actually doing all of the gardening. A lot of what I was doing was volunteer management and and staff management. So I had a green team of six people. And then I also managed about 300 volunteers throughout the season. Some of those would come in like groups of 20, but some volunteers would volunteer a couple of times a week through the season. So my main responsibilities were volunteer management to make sure that the garden was growing. And then I also put on a lot of educational workshops for people around gardening as well throughout the season. What kinds of accomplishments tend to be valued and rewarded in your field? So in the nonprofit field, uh, in terms of program management, I would say accomplishments tend to be doing a really good job with what you have. Resources, especially financial resources for running a program, tend to be tight, right, in nonprofit world because you're working off of grants. So being able to accomplish a lot with that tends to be a big accomplishment. And so like I was able to, I ran the program for two years in a row. In the second year, I was able to significantly grow the program and and build offsite gardens in partnership with other organizations and schools. And I would say that was like the biggest accomplishment that I did there. And especially like regarded by my colleagues there as well, was what they saw as kind of the largest accomplishment of the program and what I had done with it during my time. So how do most people get into this field and what are some common entry level jobs to get into being a garden manager? I would say a lot of people get into it through doing the grunt work, right? So I got into it through doing that volunteer work on gardens while I was traveling and on small farms and stuff like that. But I think a lot of people, especially in the gardening or agriculture world, get into it through either working as a farmhand or working and volunteering on on different garden projects, maybe community gardens, or on a larger scale, people might get into, like, say, managing a farm, very different than what I did, would get into through going through an agricultural program or through, like, being raised in a farming family <laughs> kind of thing. How does your job affect your general lifestyle? I would say my job affected my lifestyle in a, in a couple of ways. It was very, very physically heavy work, uh, working in the garden program. And so I also was outside in full sun every day. So that affected my lifestyle in that I usually by the time I got home just wanted to sit by the fan (laughs) kind of thing. So it definitely impacted my energy levels during kind of peak growing season when it was physically kind of the most laborious part of the, the year. And another way I would say that impacted is that because I had to be kind of aligned with the weather, it meant that sometimes my days would start earlier than other days. I think like working in gardening and working in agriculture, you have to have that flexibility and being willing to say like, okay, it's planting season or it's harvesting season. That means we need to start at the crack of dawn, sometimes literally to get get in and get what you need to get done before the sun is too hot on the field, right? Or too hot on the garden. So I'd say in terms of affecting my personal lifestyle, it just made me have to prioritize sometimes. Okay, like I can't hang out with friends until 10 a, ten p.m. Uh, on a work night because I have to be up and at work at 7 in the morning because it's 35 degrees out. 
So Celsius, not Fahrenheit. <laughs> no, you don't um, have to tell me that. You, yeah. you just ousted me out as an American. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I would say in terms of how it affected my lifestyle. So what current issues and trends in this field should I be, should I know about and be aware of? I would say in on the on the side of the nonprofit field, I would say the current trends are like really having to be adaptable to COVID in the kind of like gardening agriculture side of the field. It is a really big push recently for regenerative egg and like new practices that are more sustainable that are really drawing on old practices and old information and indigenous knowledge, especially, but we or the the field is is kind of looking at ways to really localize as well. So I worked in a community gardens program, which is something that's really gained a lot of traction. And urban agriculture is something that's really really growing, especially like over COVID. That was like a huge part of in the spring. Everyone was talking about gardening, and all the garden stores sold out of everything that they had. Right, so. That was something that was really interesting for me to watch as someone who previously had managed garden programs was just like the the big interest in growing your own food that's popped up recently. What would you say is the most rewarding thing about your work as a garden manager at a non-for-profit? The most rewarding thing for me, especially with all the volunteer management I did, was getting to watch my volunteers learn to tend for the garden through the season and watch them be rewarded with the produce that they grew. And so I I had one volunteer in particular who was in her 80s and had only volunteer had only gardened one summer when she was about five years old. But she came to me and said, I'm interested in volunteering in the garden. So I said, awesome, I'll put you to work. So we found tasks that were accessible for her physically in the garden. So she didn't have to do too much bending over, things like that. And she throughout the season got really, really into it and was even like listening to gardening radio when she was at home. And so she and I had done a few things together. There was this one particular space where we had planted tomatoes tomatoes and basil together. And she always would come into the garden on her volunteer days and water that row. And we named it after her. I won't say her name, but watching her watch those plants through the season was incredibly rewarding to me because I got to watch her learn this new skill and watch her really lean into it and it was it was so rewarding and it wasn't just with her it's with all the the volunteers i worked with who would learn these new skills and put those into action and they would get to then harvest like quite literally the fruits of their labor so that was great well if anybody wants to get into gardening uh, for a not-for-profit or otherwise you can always contact morag you know her contact information yeah, that sounds really rewarding. It makes me think. I really wish that we could grow things. We just live in an apartment, but I, I, I've seen that with li- relatively little space, you can really grow a lot of produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you're listening and you are interested in learning more about how to do an informational interview, or even if you'd like to interview any of our staff to practice it out, you can find us at yesmb.ca. And from there, you can go to our contact us page to find our contact information and get in touch with an employment facilitator today. Thanks for joining us on the Job Pod. 